Hello ladies, if you are fed up, confused as hell, or just over all the drama around weight loss, you are in the right place. My name is Bonnie LaFrac and I am your host here at Unfuck Your Weight Loss, where I help you make weight loss easy, achievable, and even fun. Because what is more fun than becoming exactly who you want to be in the body you want to be in? Let's take the shame and bullshit out of dieting and weight loss and lose the weight for the last time. Ready? Let's go. Hey there, welcome back to Unfuck Your Weight Loss. I'm Bonnie LaFrac. Thank you so much for being here. I love connecting with podcast listeners. Please let me know if there's anything I can do to serve you. Find me on Facebook, Bonnie.LaFrac. Find me on Instagram at Bonnie LaFrac. I hope you're already part of my free Facebook group. It's Food, Fitness, Fat Loss for Real Life. You can tell I love alliteration. Food, Fitness, Fat Loss for Real Life. Um, with alliteration, I have uh, my kids, Francis and Fiona, and I'm giving them a shout out because if you're listening in real time, Wednesday, August 9th, today is their 10th birthday. I know, so exciting. Um, and since it's my podcast, I can do whatever I want. <laughs> and no, really, see, in all seriousness, thank you for being here. I appreciate the feedback I get on the podcast. If you do like this podcast, thank you so much for leaving a five-star review and connecting with me. It's, so, it's really so great to hear where you're, uh, where you're from, uh, what has been going on for you, and how this podcast um, has been helpful. If you have topics you'd like me to handle, send them to me. I am answering your questions today. This is your weight loss questions answered. Each of these questions probably could be a full podcast episode in the future. I also want to preface um, this podcast with, I am not a doctor. I am not your doctor. I am not a PhD. I am not um, a researcher. I'm going to give you my experience, my opinions um, as a coach based on my clients uh, working in health, fitness, nutrition, wellness, transformation, that space, that's where I'm coming from. I could answer all of these questions with the one answer, right? It depends. Just like if you asked 10 coaches or 10 physical therapists or 10 doctors, 10 lawyers, 10 accountants, 10 teachers, 10 botanists, you could ask a question. And of course, it just depends. It's, it's very... It could be a different answer based on somebody's specific circumstance. So I'll try to be um, brief, which we know that won't happen. And I'll also try to give you um, something actionable so that one of these questions is the question you wanted to ask or needed to hear and that you walk away from the podcast with something that you can use, something that is useful for you. Okay. Let's get into it. Number one, the most asked questions, right? How many calories should I eat? And you might even ask this question in a similar fashion. What should my macros be? And there, this is one of those, it depends, right? So, and I've made, and I've talked about this before, probably ad nauseum, I could have 10 women who are all, let's say 45 years old, and they're all five foot five, and they're all 150 pounds, and they all walk daily and they all lift weights three times a day. I'm sorry, three times a day. That'd be crazy. Three times a week, right? I could, I could illustrate this with, we could have a very similar sort of avatar, yet her caloric needs may be different. Her maintenance level calories may be different and we're not going to know exact. And even calorie counting or macro tracking is not an exact science. However, 
That all being said, what I tend to see, of course, when we're thinking about dieting or losing weight is we tend to undereat, right? We tend to go overboard on the restriction, right? The less calories, take in less calories, have a, you know, have a reduction in overall calories. Sometimes we go a little bit overboard. I, my personal philosophy on weight loss is eat as much as you can and lose weight versus eat as little as you can to lose weight because otherwise we're sacrificing our lean muscle mass, which could slow down our metabolism, could give us more hormonal imbalance, and we don't need to add more problems, right? And more stress. Under eating is a stress to the body. So when people do ask me how many calories I should eat, I look for probably a range. So for example, if you did say, and I know these numbers, so I'm going to use them, my goal weight would be 150 pounds. Again, you know, I, a goal weight of 150, it could be 149 some days and 152 some days, but let's just use round numbers. 150 pounds is my goal weight ish ish. Okay. Um, I would use a range. I would say the multiplier of 10 would be, I would not go under 1500 calories. I know you're going to have some days you're crazy busy or you got sick or whatever. You were tired. You didn't get out of bed. You ate one meal, whatever. But on average, I wouldn't go under 1500 calories. The other two multipliers, I would also take my 150 and multiply it by 11. I'd get 1650. I'd multiply it by 12. I'd get 1800. So I would be in that range if, and, and to be honest, I would try for 1800. I would see do I lose weight at 1800 calories a day or there and about? Because again, if I want to eat as much as I can and lose weight, I'm going for the higher number. I don't want to go lower if I don't have to. Um, and that's kind of where, that's the baseline I would start with. If you do eat at the lower end, let's say you've been eating at 1500 calories and your goal was 150 and you're not losing weight, there's other things to look at. Um, so I don't want to have you just slash calories, slash calories, slash calories. You know, there's other things to look at. Maybe it's not the calories. Maybe it's not enough steps in the day. Maybe the sleep isn't good. Maybe your digestion isn't good. Maybe there's something else going on, but that's kind of where I tend to hang out for calories. Could I go higher? Sure thing. 100%. If you want to go higher and you track it, absolutely. Because again, we, I can't even imagine why our goal would ever want to be to eat as little as possible in order to lose weight, right? It's, it's to eat as much as possible and lose weight, lose body fat is what we're trying to do. Number two, what is your take on intermittent fasting? And should I do that? <laughs> right. And should I do that? Should I do intermittent fasting is probably the question. And here's the thing. We all do some form of intermittent fasting. You know what it's called? It's called, I go to sleep. And when I go to sleep, I'm not eating. And so that that's an interesting correlation, of course, where a lot of us try to burn the candle at both ends and we go to bed late and we wake up early. And therefore, our fasting window is actually pretty small, right? We're, we're going to bed at midnight and waking up at five. We're not fasted for very long. So intermittent fasting, just for those of you playing at home, it really means what is the window of time that I don't eat? And you could also look at it. And I talk to my clients about just an eating window. What is the amount of time that I do eat? Like when the calories turn on and when the calories turn off. If I wake up in the morning and I have black coffee, technically my calories really haven't turned on. If I add, of course, like I do, half and half to my coffee, um, my 
calories are going to turn on. My eating window begins. Okay. Um, so for a lot of us, right, we could just play with a 12 hour fasting window. That just means there'll be 12 hours out of the day I eat and 12 hours out of the day I don't. And for a lot of people, this works really well. In fact, my own physician, uh, probably two years ago was telling me that just this approach alone has helped her clients a lot, right? When we just know, Hey, I stop eating at, I don't know, 7 PM or 8 PM, which probably means I started eating at 7 AM or 8 AM, right? Try that 12 and 12 just to see how that goes. A lot of us, I get it because we're looking to lose weight and we're looking for some new way to do it, right? We're looking for new, we're looking for interesting, we're looking for novel, we're looking for the the latest and greatest. And my hairdresser told me about intermittent fasting or I read about it in a magazine or everybody's doing it, I saw, whatever, I get it. However, a lot of the intermittent fasting and the research behind it, you'll see a lot of them, you know, it's a eight hour eating window and a 16 hour fasting window um, which doesn't work well for a lot of women, especially the women I work with who are in their 40s and 50s and who are going through that perimenopause, menopause time where our bodies are undergoing different changes and different kinds of stressors. If you're already a really stressed out person, intermittent fasting is definitely not for you. If you're already a person who probably or thinks or knows they have a thyroid issue, intermittent fasting is not for you. I'm going to say that, even though I told you I wasn't a doctor. <laughs> Did I mention that, that I wasn't a doctor, that I'm not going to tell you um, doctorly things? But that's, is a doctorly thing even a thing? That's my take on intermittent fasting. It does not have to be drastic in order to be effective. For a lot of women, we don't even, we don't even have to call it intermittent fasting. We don't even have to talk about an eating window. For a lot of my clients, we just have a kitchen clothes time, right? As a like, I just have decided I don't eat after dinner and that saves me hundreds of calories every single day, hundreds, right? We think, oh, well, it's just a handful of Cheez-Its. It's just a handful of this. It's just a handful of trail mix, <laughs> 500 calories later. And we wonder why, you know, we're not losing weight or keeping our weight off, right? So that's my take on intermittent fasting. I have done intermittent fasting um, and it works well. I did a 10 hour eating window and a 14 hour fasted window. That is as aggressive as I would go. I would not go more aggressive than that. For most people, it's hard to do. A, I did 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. That is not easy because it means by 8, 8 p.m. you're like, I got to go to bed <laughs> because otherwise I'm going to get really hungry. So um, I've done intermittent fasting before. It is the secret sauce to intermittent fasting like any other diet. It's a way to keep your calories lower. You're reducing calories because you're just shortening the amount of hours that you're eating. That is in the magic. Is there other benefits? And you hear about autophagy and things that cell clearing and, you know, it's good for cancer and all that stuff, perhaps. Um, but for something sustainable, um, and certainly I'm against long fast for regular women. I don't really see a necessity for it. If you're doing it for medical reasons and you're working with a medical professional and that works for you, have at it. Number three, uh, similar to the question above, is there any truth to not eating after 7 p.m.? Um, and I think this has been sort of common diet mythology that you can't eat or you shouldn't eat after a specific certain time of the day. Like after 7 p.m., 
all carbs double in calories and double in consequence, right? As if all the food gets way worse the later it gets. The truth of the matter is that that is not, there is no real truth in that. I think eating and the times you eat are going to be definitely um, all about your own personal schedule. What times of day do you work? What, when do you go to bed? Like, you know, I have a lot of clients who are nurses and they will work um, that second or third shift. So obviously, you know, shutting off the food at 7 p.m. may not work for them. And it doesn't have to. I remember um, when I was still teaching classes, like, you know, I was teaching boot camp and kettlebells and I'm teaching fitness classes. Um, and I remember uh, I would teach the last class would be at 7.30 at night. It seems so late right now. Uh, 7.30, I can't believe I taught a class at 7.30 p.m. That means it was done at 8.30 p.m. Um, I'm probably now driving away in my car at 8.45 p.m. And, you know, maybe I'm not eating till almost like 9.15, 9.30 at night. Um, and I was very hungry. <laughs> um, I can remember going to, to Chipotle and uh, I'd get like one of their salads or whatever and just devour it. Maybe two salads. Um, anyway that did not prevent me from losing weight or keeping my weight off. That was simply my schedule was that, you know, I ate dinner at 9.30 at night, 9.45, but I didn't go to bed then till about two or three hours later. Um, so my, bo- my body had time to digest. Um, my blood sugar had time to come back down. Um, and that's what I look at, right? There's always going to be an instance too where, I don't know, you have a flight delayed and you don't get home unexpectedly to like one in the morning and maybe you're starving. You haven't eaten in six hours, seven hours, right? And you're going to eat something and then pass out. We're always going to have those situations. And so I don't like to be, you know, so, you know, so all or nothing. So like it has to be this way. I can never eat after a certain time or I've screwed up and everything's ruined and I'm a terrible person. Um, There has to be some level of flexibility if I want to lose weight and keep it off, which I think you do. So there is no truth in that there's a certain time to stop eating. Are human beings designed to be diurnal? Meaning are we designed to like be awake during the day and go to sleep at night and not like eat all night long? Like we're not, we're not owls. (laughs) We're not like um, flying around looking for mice to eat in the middle of the night. We're not cats. We're humans. And so it is, you know, our bodies and our cortisol curve do mimic sort of the sunrise sunset effect. Um, so ideally, right, we're all working just nine to five in an ideal world. And then you eat dinner at six and then you go to bed at, I don't know, nine, but it's just, we don't live in an ideal world. So choose your schedule based on, you know, what happens in your day. When do you work? What time do you get up? What time do you go to bed? Um, and I do like the idea, however, of leaving two to three hours before the last time you eat and bedtime so that you do digest like you're upright versus laying down um, and your blood sugar comes down as well. Okay. Number four, how can I get rid of cellulite? You can't. No, I'm kidding. Um, here's the thing. Uh, cellulite is one of those things that I think to some effect um, is genetic. If you don't like the look of your legs, uh, they might look like your mom's legs or your aunt's legs or your grandmother's legs. I can't believe I said aunt. In New England, they say aunt. Where I grew up in St. Louis, we say aunt. So whether it's aunt or aunt, look around in your family. Some of this sort of cellulite is genetic. Obviously, when we lose weight, 
a lot of women do notice that um, what they perceived as their trouble spots or what have you look a little bit different. Um, but by and large, most women do have cellulite. That's the truth. Women have cellulite. They have loose skin after weight loss or after having a baby. They have stretch marks. They have scars. They have imperfections. Um, sometimes, you know, we ourselves judge all of these things to be way worse than they are. Um, I haven't found a solution that's, you know, that works for everyone, that there's one kind of um, treatment or a cream or everything like that. There's certainly med spas that maybe offer, you know, something in terms of a laser, uh, <laughs> laser, I feel like, what's that from? Uh, not Austin Powers. Anyway, um, you know the movie I'm talking about. It does have Mike, uh, whatchamahoosits in it. I'm off schedule. I, I'm, I'm losing it here, but you get what I'm trying to say. You can reduce cellulite. I don't think you'll totally get rid of it. And I think that is okay. Obviously exercise, hydration, uh, fat loss can help the appearance of your, your skin. Um, but a lot of us have cellulite, including me. Number five, why is my weight loss so slow? Well, the problem, of course, is the way you ask the question. No, I'm kidding. Um, I'd love to say it's just your thoughts. <laughs> your weight loss is slow because of your thoughts. Here's, here's what I'll offer on this, because this is one of those tell me more questions. Sometimes we think weight loss is slow or so slow or it's not happening because every time we get on the scale, it's not going down. So a couple things. Make sure if you are using the scale as your tool, I would use it the same day same time every single week. Um, so whether that's Sunday morning or Monday morning or Tuesday morning, whatever it is, I would just be very consistent. Most people are not going to see the scale go down every single week and not every single day for sure, especially as you keep going. You will also notice there might be times where you go one or two or three weeks without it moving. And then it feels like, whoosh, you know, then it's like, wow, I didn't get anything for a couple of weeks. Then I got three pounds. So weight loss is not necessarily this, you know, consistent, like it's not a consistent machine that it always spits out. Like you're always going to get that one to two pounds that you hear about all the time, that that's the normal loss of weight for most people. It's not, it's considered a good rate of weight loss, one or two pounds per week. And by good rate, I mean a good amount of fat loss can be had without losing too much muscle mass. Because whenever we're talking about weight loss, we're hopefully talking about fat loss and we're talking about like a body recomposition. We're asking a lot of our bodies, right? We're asking our bodies to hold on to muscle but also to release fat. And that's, you know, a recomposition. And so it's not going to happen automatically. It's not going to happen every day. It's not going to happen every meal that we're on track, right? Is that we expect, oh, I did a good thing. I worked out. Am I skinny yet? You know, I ate celery. Am I skinny yet? It just doesn't go that way. So I think for most of us, because we want to lose weight and keep it off, does it really matter if I lost one pound this week or two pounds? That's a difference of one pound. Yeah, it gets me to my goal quicker, but my goal is to keep going, right? I don't just lose the weight and stay there. And so I know we all love the gratification. We love seeing, aha, this is working. My, you know, my efforts are paying off, but 
I don't think necessarily um, you can count solely on the scale to tell you if your weight loss is fast or slow. We've all done those uh, low carb diets or the keto diet or a very low calorie diet where those first week, the first week or first two weeks or so that you see a lot of water loss. Um, but after that, weight loss rates, sometimes people, people, my clients have gone on to lose 50, 80, 100 pounds, like literally half a pound at a time, right? How the, the question comes up, how do you eat an elephant? one bite at a time. How do you accomplish any kind of goal? Very slowly, right? None of us go from, you know, you hear the story where somebody started as the bus boy. Well, they don't go from the bus boy to the chef, to the owner of the restaurant, like in three weeks. It just is a process of keep doing, keep showing up, stay consistent. Watch, of course, how you talk about it. If I think, why is my weight loss so slow? Well, right, it feels terrible that way right? Maybe your weight loss is slow because you're doing a great job losing the body fat and holding the muscle. Maybe you're doing a great job introducing flexible eating into your life and this doesn't feel like a diet, right? We could go at it a lot of different ways. Um, number six, what's your take on HRT? I heard estrogen is bad. Interesting, right? This is, I see this everywhere. And of course I see it everywhere because I'm in that age range, right? And I'm hanging out with other women who are going through menopause and I'm in all the Facebook groups on menopause and it's everywhere. People talking about HRT, right? Hormone replacement therapy, people talking about bioidentical hormones. And then people obviously have heard, you know, and it could be from, you know, people who are in our mother's generations or generations before us, you know, what HRT used to be was a lot more of the synthetic hormones, essentially what like birth control is, but they had things like Premarin and um, the other synthetic type of hormones that were known or have been known to have a little bit higher incidence of cancer. When people talk about HRT these days, hormone replacement therapy or bioidentical hormones. Obviously you're working closely with a physician who is well-versed in bioidentical hormones and doing hormone testing with you regularly. And by regularly, probably the first couple of years, four times a year, you would have your hormones tested to see. Um, if you're asking me like friend to friend, like Bonnie to you, what's my take on HRT? I am all for it. I am on hormone replacement therapy. I'm not trying to hide that either. I'm 56 years old and um, I'm trying to, to live as long as I can. <laughs> so, um, and to reduce um, any type of symptoms of menopause, like no one wants to stay up all night and be hot, right? Um, and I will say, whether you decide to do hormone replacement therapy, one hormone, two hormones, many hormones, no hormone replacement therapy, whatever you decide, hormone balance is a delicate dance. We're never, it's like weight loss. We never like arrive in just this place that's completely stable and aha, I made it, right? I've made it to hormone balance. Everything is in balance because our bodies are constantly in motion. At any given time, my hormones will be shifting. Whether I um, stayed up too late or I drank too much coffee or I have a lot of stress at work or I got, you know, the stomach bug or, you know, something's happened. Um, my body is always shifting. Your body is always shifting. But overall, I think having a conversation uh, with healthcare professionals that you know, like, and trust, and that you get informed um, about what makes sense for where you are on your journey, I'm all for it. Um, estrogen itself is not a bad hormone. In fact, 
Um, part of the issues I think with, you know, as we go through um, perimenopause and menopause is our estrogen is actually declining. And so it is a lack of estrogen or low estrogen in compared to other hormones that does create the hot flashes and the weight gain and sort of the belly and the change in the changing in our, the changes in our body that we do not like. It also can affect your, um, you know, your heart health and your bone mass. So there is something to be said about some level of estrogen replacement. Don't be afraid of estrogen. It is not bad. Okay. Talk to your doctor. Number seven. Here's a big one. Okay. This person wrote, I think I need Ozempic. What do you think? Interesting, right? So you can't go anywhere without the Ozempic conversation. It's all over the news. Um, any, you know, anywhere that you follow, you'll see, you know, this came up with Ozempic or be careful. You'll get Ozempic face or Ozempic butt or Ozempic fingers or all these crazy things. Here's the thing with Ozempic. Um, it's a relatively new drug. There's similar drugs. Uh, I think Wagovi is exactly the same perhaps, and Manjaro is slightly different, but they all are relatively similar, same classification, more or less, used to treat people with prediabetes, right? People who have elevated A1C. The idea is that this would help lower your A1C, which you want that because you want your blood sugar to come down and you don't um, want to have elevated blood sugar because that can lead to obviously cardiac events and stroke and other unpleasantries. And unchecked is if our A1C does not come down, we could have diabetes. So I would talk to your doctor again, because I am not a doctor and I'm not your doctor and I'm not here to pass moral judgment on what you decide to do with your body. 100%. I will say this because the person asked me, asked me what I thought. Uh, I've worked with a lot of clients, um, not that many on the Ozempic type of drug, um, but more, uh, people who've had, uh, the gastric bypass or the sleeve, you know, the different, those different types of surgeries. And so I look at it, I know they're completely different, sort of. Um, if I had a choice, if someone said, hey, I could get gastric bypass or I could try Ozempic, which would I do? I would try Ozempic. I would not go a surgical route uh, because there's just so many more risks, in my opinion, uh, to be you know, put under, like to go get anesthesia and to have some type of surgery and to be cut open. Um, that's my personal opinion on it. Um, what I think is interesting right now is that there is the FDA approved versions, which are Ozempic. And then there's a lot of these health spas and med spas that are prescribing compounded versions of this. It's a GLP-1 drug. It's a semi-glutide, right? I don't know about that. That I do not know. Uh, and again, I'm not saying the FDA, everything the FDA does is better, but something that is vetted by the FDA, I probably would go that direction first. And I would get something that is prescribed by my doctor and fulfilled by an actual pharmacy before necessarily I tried something that from a compounding pharmacy if I, if I was just getting it from my med spa. Why I brought up gastric bypass is because I've had so many clients who've had the sleeve or gastric bypass, what does not change? when you do some type of surgery or you take a drug to help you with your weight loss, you still have mindset work to do. And I've had clients who've been on the semi-glutide, the Ozempic or Manjaro's or what have you. Um, it's not, it's not a quick fix. It's not a, you know, snap of the fingers. And, you know, now you think, act, do, you are a healthy, skinny, lean, fit, whatever toned, whatever word you're 
wherever you're trying to go, you don't automatically become that. You still have to work on your mindset, on your habits, on your consistency, right? You still have to um, show up and, you know, think about your nutrition and think about all of the things that you did. It should, of course, just make it a little bit easier, right? That's what you're looking for is to have help. And I am all for getting help the same way I would be for anybody who's considering um, HRT, right? Is, is speaking it with, is speaking it over with your doctor who knows everything about you, your medical history, and that you make a decision that you like, uh, that works for you and that you, you know, continue to do whatever, you know, you're supposed to do, whether that is with HRT or Ozempic or gastric bypass, whatever you decide to do that you like your reasons for doing it and that you know that you still have to do the work. Um, there is no magic pill. I can tell you as somebody who's done, um, the hormone replacement therapy for many years, my hormones never are in balance. <laughs> I'm just chasing something all the time. That's what it is. It's just trying to, it's, it's sometimes it's like whack-a-mole and sometimes weight loss feels like whack-a-mole. It's like, oh, just when I got my, I'm walking every day. Ah, uh, I fell off strength training. Ah, uh, once I get strength training, you know, in, you know, all bad, bad, batten down, I can't even speak, then my water falls off or then my sleep falls off or then I'm snacking at night, right? It's like we kind of play whack-a-mole and that's okay. As long as we have the awareness that we're trying to build those habits and we're trying to do it consistently and we're trying to um, make the decisions that are for our greater good and bring us closer to res our result, we're always going to have to work on it. There is not one drug or one hormone replacement therapy that is going to solve all the problems. I wish there was, um, but you might have to mix and match, right? Your, the way you do things, you're still going to have to strength train. You're still going to have to walk. You're still going to have to drink water. You're still going to have to go to sleep. You're still going to have to worry about your overall nutrition, especially if you are somebody who was considering a gastric bypass or gastric sleep, or probably even Ozempic, if it's cutting way down on your appetite, you're still going to have to make sure then you have supplements that really allow you to get all of your nutrients, right? If we're not getting that much from food to begin with, imagine eating less. Whew, that was a good one. I'm gonna skip over that question. All right, let's see. I'm gonna do just a few more. And then if you guys have questions, obviously send them to me. You can uh, send them DM, right? Bonnie.lafrag, or just send them into the free Facebook group, Food, Fitness, Fat Loss for Real Life. All right, I have one. Um, Bonnie, am I doing this right? I don't think I am. But is weight loss all about stringing together different diets? And uh, this one came from one of my self-made clients. And it's based on, I think, probably conversations I've had here in the podcast, how I approach dieting or how I approach weight loss. I don't look at it like, oh, I'm going to start this diet, the XYZ diet, and then it's done. And then it's over. And that's, I think, what typically happens for most people. Like they're going to uh, do keto for three months and then they're done or Octavia or Jenny Craig or low carbs or what have you. And then it's all over. Um, I lost the weight or I didn't lose weight on that. Or, and then I gained the weight back and then I fell off and all of this stuff. I think about weight loss as, you know, obviously because we want to lose weight forever, I'm going to have different seasons of life. I'm not just talking about like for somebody who's competed on stage and they have like this sort of on-season um, bikini diet and then an off-season not bikini diet. That's probably an extreme version of that. But we're not going to diet year-round for the rest of our lives. We're not going to, 
be trying to eat in a deficit year round for the rest of our lives. We're not. We're probably going to have that week on vacation, uh, maybe your uh, Christmas or Hanukkah week, right? The holidays. Um, maybe you're going to take off a couple weeks in the summer, right? Where we don't eat in a deficit because we can't year round eat in a deficit, probably without like losing our minds. And we don't want necessarily want to count calories or count macros or track anything when we're doing summer vacation or when we're on a holiday break or, you know, you're on your honeymoon or whatever you're doing. I just think it's more reasonable and healthy that to know that sometimes we are taking a break, not taking a break from our goals, not taking a break from what we want, but that we have to loosen things up a little bit. We just do. And then there are times, right, when you are uh, getting ready to go on that, you know, two week cruise or you're going to your friend's, uh, your best friend's wedding or you're going away wherever you're going, right? Whatever big thing is coming in your life, your son is getting married, you're, um, you know, moving out of your house and you're going to a new place, something big that's coming and you say, aha, it could be even as simple as we're doing holiday photos, right? We're doing a photo shoot with our family or I'm expecting, you know, friends I haven't seen at a reunion, right? We all have those external drivers where we're like, okay, you know what? I want to cut the shit. I want to cut the crap. I want to tighten things up a little bit. Because really, when you lose weight and keep it off and you get to your goal weight, and I'm using my air quote fingers, when you get to your goal weight, you don't stay at that goal weight. You know, right, whether you weigh yourself every day or every other day or once a week or three times a month or once a month or never, like there's fluctuation. We're going to fluctuate. And most of us probably, if we're, if we're honest, we can be happy with a five or 10 pound weight range, right? That we know my, my clothes will fit whether I'm 150 or 160 pounds, right? My clothes are gonna fit. I don't wanna get over a certain amount of time and then I know, you know what? I need to, I need to assess and see what is going on. So it really, a lot of it is about mindset. I don't think about I'm stringing together diets. What I do think about is I'm looking at my goals, where I'm at right now, and I'm, I do like to make a plan. What is my plan for this month? Or what is my plan for the next three months? Am I in more of a fat loss season or am I in a maintenance season? Am I in a um, strength building season? And I use the word season just to say, you know, it doesn't have to be the actual fall or the winter or the spring, but is it for the next month, the next couple months? Like, what is my focus? Because I'd love to say you can focus on weight loss and fat loss and building muscle and, you know, learning a new skill and starting a new job. You can't focus on everything all at once and you don't need to. I think it is important to really look at where you are right now and know that if we're going to continue to either lose the weight, maintain our lost weight, or go for that next goal. Maybe it is to build muscle. Maybe it is to, um, you know, learn how to strength train. Maybe you have other things that are in line with who you're becoming in your body. Um, but that is, that's all that it means. You can think about it as stringing diets together. Um, I think that becomes a little bit more of the roller coaster or the merry-go-round where I'm like, go from diet to diet to diet to diet to diet. My goal, at least what I'm teaching inside of Self-Made and the society and what the Real Weight Loss Challenge is all about, is teaching more about this flexibility that we're not on a diet and we're not operating from a place of, you know, these are good foods and these are bad foods, right? I'm just operating from a place of, can I tune into my own natural hunger signals? Am I eating when I'm hungry? Am I stopping when, I'm, when it's enough? Am I able to 
you know, plan what I like to eat and what makes sense for me right now. Um, if things are not working for me, right, if I feel like I'm not on track, then can I take an honest look at what I'm doing or what I'm not doing without going crazy and being like, oh my gosh, I, you know, I need to like not eat for 32 hours um, or I have to do something more drastic, right? I have to go on a diet. I have to go back to the XYZ diet or the cabbage soup diet or whatever, right? Can I just, you know, do a course correct simply by looking at where am I, what am I doing, what am am I doing or what am I not doing? Like, have I fallen off somewhere? Am I not being honest um, to myself with my food consumption? Okay. Woo. All right. Two more questions for you. Maybe three. I can fit in three. We're going to go faster. This was from a client of mine as well. My goal is to, my goal. So we're talking about just goals. Like what would you need to believe in order to achieve your goal? Right? So if your goal was to lose 30 pounds, what would you need to believe? Well, here was the interesting question. My goal is to not be the biggest girl in the room. So I'm a little lost about what I need to believe. Right? And this, this was an interesting one because I related to it. I, it, I, it hit home as somebody, you know, I'm five foot nine. Um, I've never been a small girl, <laughs> never once. Actually, I was small when I was born. I was six pounds and nine ounces. And that's because my mom was a smoker. <laughs> so I was small when I was born. And that was it. After that, I was always very tall. Um, I think people probably thought I was going to be like six feet tall, the rate of which I was growing. So I was like one of the tallest girls in sixth grade, like one of those. However, um, I'm still a relatively big girl, right? I have a friend of mine, a very good friend. She calls me big girl. Um, and I don't take any offense to it, but along my years in my twenties and thirties, I can remember, um, somebody I worked for, he would make comments like you're a big girl, right? Sort of this kind of like how to call somebody fat was to be called a big girl. Now my client, her thought was that she's a big girl and she did not want to be the biggest girl. And I think what she meant was she didn't want to feel like the biggest girl. And of course, this was kind of one of those things. I made a joke, of course, because that's, you know, how professional I am. (laughs) I really just said, well, you're going to be the, if you were in a room filled with little people, you're going to be the biggest girl in the room. You will be. And here's the thing. We can never control who's in the room and what they look like and what they weigh or their size or their shape or their height. All we can control is what we think about ourselves. So whether or not you are tall or you are a certain size, you wear a certain size, it is what we think of it, right? And I think it is interesting as women that you know, I think women more than men, right, are in this diet culture. We're always trying to be smaller, lighter, thinner, prettier. Um, and it's all sort of wrapped up in this big ball of, you know, this is, this is what a woman is, or this is how a woman should be. You should be smaller. You should not be big. You should take up less room. Um, and it's, I think it's pervasive. Um, at least in my generation and probably generations to come. And so your goal to not be the biggest girl in the room, I could go a lot of different ways with this. Like, why? Why is that a problem? And a lot of it is obviously because we're feeling like we should be small and we are too big, right? So regardless of who else is in the room, 
it all comes to how we think about ourselves. You could be in a room with, you know, men and women who weigh 300 pounds, 400 pounds, 500 pounds, and you could still feel quote unquote, big or too big. Um, and so this is kind of the mindset, the mindset piece of it that I think is interesting. And I think it's worth a conversation. Um, there is not one answer on how to approach if this is your goal, like what would you need to believe? I think it still needs to be unpacked a little bit. And it's such a great topic about being the biggest girl in the room or feeling like you're the biggest girl in the room or feeling like you're too big. You should be smaller. You should weigh less. You shouldn't weigh so much, right? You should be thin, lean, um, all those things. And that is simply not true. It's maybe something we've heard. Maybe you heard it from a parent, a grandparent, somebody on the playground, a teacher, a book, a movie. Um, but we can change that conversation. And it does start with ourselves. How we talk to ourselves um, matters. So that's one that is near and dear to my heart. Um, the more I think about it and talk about it, I think it is super fascinating and interesting. If you are somebody who's felt like your goal, your only goal, like the goal is to just not be the biggest girl in the room. Congrats. You can, you can be the smallest girl in the room at any given time. It's really your thoughts because here's the interesting thing as women, a lot of women have this thought and a lot of women are looking around at other women thinking that woman is prettier than me, or she's lighter than me, or she's leaner than me, or she's better than me. And she has more than me. And I am not enough. And I am not worthy. And I am too big and I'm doing it wrong. And it is not the truth. So before we can set, um, belief, you know, a belief plan up about your goal, we probably want to rework the goal. Um, and dive deeper into that topic. All right. Two more for you. How do I incorporate exercise into a busy life? Right. Signed every woman ever. Um, it is a catch 22, especially when we look at working out, um, and the stress effect of going through perimenopause or menopause and not trying to be you know, not trying to stress ourselves out too much, not trying to do too much high intensity stuff. So here's the thing. A little bit goes a long way. Even if you can walk for 10 minutes at a time, could you do that two or three times over the course of a day? That's where I might start is look for, you know, in between a call, in between a meeting, before work, after work, at lunchtime, where can you sneak in the smaller time frames. A lot of us, we think exercise is supposed to be an hour or it doesn't count. It's like, doesn't work. I look for where can I sneak in 10 or 20 minutes and then do that and keep showing up in that way. What we prioritize definitely gets done. So I'm not trying to say, hey, if you're a busy woman and you're not exercising, it's because you suck and you, your priorities are out of whack. Usually as women, we're prioritizing everybody else are prioritizing our kids and our house and our spouse and our boss and all of these other things. But when we start to prioritize our exercise, we will find a way to get it done, even if it's in just smaller bits. And it doesn't have to be high intensity anything. Going for that 10 minute walk after you eat is magical. And to keep showing up, if you did, if you walk 10 minutes after breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you would already get some health benefits there. So I incorporate exercise into a busy life. I have to plan it like put it in writing or it doesn't get done. Last but not least, number 12, what is flexible nutrition? I use the terms flexible nutrition, flexible eating, flexible dieting sort of interchangeably, but I do recognize 
we all have different ideas of what those words mean, right? If I think nutrition, eating, and dieting all sound different, especially if you're like, ooh, dieting sounds terrible, it sounds restrictive, and it sounds like there'll be horrible things I won't want to eat. Even if you start it with flexible, you know, flexible dieting, it still sounds bad. So don't use flexible dieting. Um, sometimes I like just to go with flexible eating or flexible nutrition because it sounds more enjoyable and it sounds more positive and more like hey, this is good for me. So it just means that we take away the moral stigma about what foods are good and what foods are bad. And it sounds like, okay, that sounds simple enough. But for most of us, if you've been dieting as long as I have for decades and decades and decades, it's hard to, it's hard to get away from that, right? We have a lot of baggage we're carrying around, whether you did um, a low carb diet and all carbs are bad, or you did keto and, you know, uh, you can only eat high fat or you did a low fat diet and fat is bad, right? It just depends on where you've come from. We have a lot of thoughts and beliefs about what causes us to gain weight or what makes weight loss hard or how I have to eat in order to lose weight. Um, obviously, eating low carb has its benefits because we tend to lose water weight very quickly, right? When we eliminate carbs. And so we begin to think that's the weight loss secret. But in essence, all weight, all kinds of quote unquote diets, anything that has you eating below the amount of calories your body needs to maintain, you will lose weight. That is the bottom line. So flexible nutrition is learning how to incorporate anything, and I do mean anything, into your day, planning it ahead of time. So not doing it like, oh, I feel like it, right? I had a bad day or I deserve a treat. Like we, we really start to look at eating and nutrition based on our own unique needs and hunger and our own likes and our own goals and put it together from there. So it takes practice. It does take coaching for sure. I don't think, you know, if it was so easy, everybody would do it. Yet here we are all running back to diets. Give me a, give me a meal plan. Tell me what to eat. How many carbs should I have? Give me my macros, all of that stuff. I get it. I was there too. Um, but flexible eating um, is a game changer. Um, and PS, if you're looking for help, I would invite you to be part of the Real Weight Loss Challenge. It's the 14-day Real Weight Loss Challenge. We start August 14th, so that is next Monday. Even if you're going to be on vacation, you're not going to be able to hit the ground running, no problem. We're going to have a Facebook group. Um, it will stay open for 30 days um, following the event. So really right through September, you can have access to all of the coaching calls. You'll have all of the printable materials that will be emailed to you. This is not a challenge. Like it's not a contest. We don't all have to start on Monday and we're all not comparing notes and we're not, you know, sending me your weight and your measurements and your photos unless you want to, but we're not running it that way. I'm going to really show you what flexible eating or flexible nutrition looks like so that you can actually lose weight and make it so simple and easy, right? It'll fit into whether you go on vacation or whether you're home from vacation and, and your kids are starting back at school. No matter who you are, you can make this work. There are no, there are no approved food lists or, or unapproved food lists. You can make it work with however you like to eat. Okay. So check out the show notes for all of that info. I hope to see you there and I hope you make it a great week. Thank you so much for tuning in to Unfuck Your Weight Loss. The next step, of course, is to take action on something we discussed because implementation beats information all day long. If you enjoyed this podcast, thank you for being here and please leave a review wherever you tune in for all of your podcasts. Please be sure to subscribe 
so you never miss an episode. Looking forward to dropping all the F-bombs with you next week. Have a good one.